Hello, and welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders, and this is episode 10. The topic for today is race and place. Hey, that rhymes. <laughs> I know. It's easy to remember. <laughs> but it's actually a really powerful one-two punch. And one of the things I'm going to try and get people to uh, consider is that nearly every story of crisis that you see in the news about our culture now, if you look behind the scenes, you will see both race and place. But that uh, if you're not careful, that never gets addressed in the story itself, but it is just one layer deep. It's rooted in race and place. So now you've given everyone their secret decoder. That's decoder. <laughs> Let's take a look at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So how I wanted to uh, get into this today was I have noticed that there seem to be three kind of uh, primary ways of looking at the issues of um, injustice in our culture. And I've noticed there are three big groupings of ways that people kind of think or process this. So the first is that the American project or the American dream is, is fine. It's perfect the way it is. And that any of this other stuff, uh, racism or right is counter to the goodness of America, but that, as the, the system is conceived, right, liberty and justice for all, inalienable rights, that that is, uh, there's a purity to that original vision, and that all this other stuff is exceptional to that. It's actually counter to the goodness of the initial impulse. Hang on. I think yeah. I hear something. Wait a minute. It's the Star Spangled Banner being yes, played. Yes. Also, you should stand for the singing. And put your the, hand over your heart. Of the national anthem. Don't you dare, Randy, don't kneel during the national anthem. Okay. I need you to stand up. <laughs> so the second grouping of kind of thoughts about this is that people take an idea that the racism, for instance, is a, a virus or a bug in the system that threatens to corrupt the goodness of the program. That uh, the program itself is good, right? The initial impulse, and that the racism is an unfortunate um, sickness within the system that you know threatens the entire thing and it needs to be battled, but that it is not a part of the system, it is outside of the system and a threat to the system. It's a virus. Okay. Okay? And then the third group of, of kind of reasons that I hear is uh, people who say, nope, from the first day, the American project is rooted in genocide of indigenous peoples, stealing theft of the land, and the racism of slavery, that it is an inherent it's baked into the bread. It's part of the DNA of America. Yeah. So those seem to be, those are three very different ways of seeing this thing. Absolutely. So one is kind of a purity ideal mm -hmm. that you have the goodness of the Constitution, right? The Declaration of Independence, the, the National Anthem, that there's a goodness to that. And that anything bad is, is, needs to be combated because it's not a part of the, the bread. It's right. It's outside of the system. Yeah. And by my comment of hearing the Star Spangled yeah. Banner, by the way, um, it was a little snarky, but little. you know, I, I am not an unpatriotic person, believe it or not. Um, huh. I actually believe that America 
uh, has some incredibly wonderful ideas yeah. that we need to live up to. In fact, you might even say part of the troublemaking that I do mm. is to make sure that we live up to the ideals that we say we have. Mm. Okay, so that's the first is the, the purity idea. That's very interesting. The second is this idea that there, uh, there's a virus that threatens to compromise the system, and that's why racism and systemic injustice needs to be dealt with, is because what we have is so good, we can't afford for this stuff to uh, permeate and, and fester, so we have to get it dealt with. But... Right, it's not a part of the system; it's outside the system. Okay, help me with that one a little bit more. So people will say, "Yes, listen, there are some unfortunate things over the past two hundred years, uh, three hundred years." But they're outliers. They're outliers. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's just kind of like these things happen. Yes. Okay. But they're not intrinsic to America and the capitalist economic system, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's this so, third group. So, so that would be perhaps yeah. the, the first would be a very conservative. The second would be more of a neoliberal position. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. And then the third grouping uh, that I hear is people who say that from day one, the American project, for all of it, the glory of its flowers and its, and its fruit, it is rooted in injustice and racism. And, and that would be my reality. Yes. There's, and so that's more of a, a prophetic, a, a critical lens. Uh, yeah, or just real. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one of the things I wanted to just, I wanted to set that up to say these are three groupings of kind of perspectives or the ways that people frame how they think about this. And that those three things take you in very different directions. Absolutely. So, and we talk past each other because of those yes. views. Yeah. yeah. So if you think that America is a city on a hill, a shining example, and that anything bad, like racism within the system, is obviously bad and needs to be dealt with because America is so good. Right. And, and folks who believe that are sort of what I would call the, the American dreamers, right? Yeah. So this, this, this mythology that's built around, uh, you know, God is built into this thing and, and uh, we are uh, somehow uh, God's divine appointees to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. and so uh, every president has to sort of uh, uh, assign themselves the position of American exceptionalism yes. uh, because of that. And, and it is literally, you know, we say, you know, um, there are people who say it's a Christian country, but it's not a Christian country, first of all. It, but the American myth and the American dream that goes along with it is, I believe, uh, the deepest held religious position of most people in the country. Yes, and it actually is in um, a position of power right now because just the way that this most recent presidential election went and the Tea Party that formed before that in reaction to... And the 71% evangelicals who wrapped Jesus in the flag. Yes. Yes. So it is a very popular perspective right now. I see it in many places. That's why I wanted to address it, that... 
it, for many people, this is a legitimate uh, interpretive lens from which to see history and contemporary uh, politics and you know just what's happening in our culture. That's a wonderful uh, reality, but it's a bubble. True, but because of the nature of social media being a self-selecting environment, people are actually able to set up an echo chamber where this narrative is reinforced by their news streams and their Facebook feeds and their uh, social networks so that it is reinforced, right, um, daily, this narrative. And you, if you want to hear this, there are plenty of places that are broadcasting that message, and then you feel reinforced. You feel... Um, You've taken your blue pill, and <laughs> everything's fine. Yeah. So um, it, it's kind of like that old uh, movie, The Truman Show, right? But right now, what's happening is the set is falling apart. Mm. The, the lights are coming down, the set's falling wow. apart, and everybody's going, what's happening to my reality? Where'd mm. my bubble go? Mm. Would these people just give me my bubble back? Yeah. You know, I listened to an interesting thing this week of somebody who um, very much, this used to be their mentality, and the day that it changed for them, this is a really, it's always weird to see what wakes people up mm -hmm. or what alerts them to the fact it's like in the Truman Show when that light fell. Right. That was like the moment the, the thing cracked. Right. right? Reality. It's so this guy I was listening to, he actually was... Fine. He actually thought like, yeah, you know, sometimes you get a more liberal president. Sometimes you get a more conservative president. But, you know, basically, you know, America is on a trajectory of goodness. He, he really, right, this was um, the day that it woke him up was the day of that uh, white supremacist rally. And in, in, uh, it was Charlottesville. Yeah, Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And he thought, holy crap. They they are no longer hiding in the shadows. They're emboldened enough to come out in public now without masks. And khaki shorts and polo shirts. <laughs> They're unembarrassed. And so then he was like, so that put him on his heels. But the thing that eventually um, did it in was when um, the current president said there are good people on both sides. Right. And he thought, what is happening right now? Exactly. And I thought... Wait a minute. Are you telling me you were good up until that moment? Yeah. That was the moment he realized something was wrong. And I thought, how the hell did you get this far? And that's what woke you up? Yeah. But it is. And for everybody, it's, it seems to be something different. Yeah. And so that's that old mirror being shown. Yes. Yeah. I have several friends who said, I really didn't think it would ever get this bad until they set up those detention camps for the kids mm -hmm. in, on the southern border. Yeah. That was the day people said, I thought all of this talk about Nazis in Germany and, and, and the Weimar Republic was just rhetoric. But this is how detention camps get started. Exactly. And um, also, well, I, I knew there was going to be also, there's going to be some kind of uh, camps for our people who are losing their homes to natural disasters as well. We're going to have detention camps. We're going to have refugee camps. We're going to have, you know, this country's going to be a mess if it continues to go down the path that it's going on. And, of course, that's from climate change, which will be a different show we'll talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. But so, uh, you know, my own sister lost their home. Um, oh, no. And there are still people in Florida who yeah. are, are, you know, living literally just yeah. camping on their land with no homes. Anyway, uh, back to the topic at hand. Yeah. 
Sorry about that uh, rabbit trail. <laughs> no, no, it happens. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that it's unavoidable. There are going to be rabbit trails. Yeah, so this is the same moment that in uh, uh, during the Civil Rights era when uh, good white people who were okay with Jim Crow because, quote-unquote, that was in the South, um, and it was those people who were doing it, and they were the same people with the Civil War problem and all the rest— so um, when when the hoses and the German shepherds were yeah. turned on the protesters in Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. that was the wake up call for a lot of people. Okay, they just said, you know, well, you know, I don't want my daughter going to a black person's birthday party and spending the night, but I don't want to see dogs turned on them and uh, hoses, right? So all of a sudden, there's this little bit of humanity yeah. comes through. And um, those moments hopefully will continue to happen so yeah. people wake up. Yeah. Okay. So the second position, this brings us to the second camp of, of mental frameworks and explanations, is that somebody might be listening and saying, right, but you guys are picking all of the worst examples. Those are exceptions mm. to the rule. The rule is still good. Those are unfortunate outlier examples so yes people like to point to them but that's not the game that's people breaking the rules of the game right Mm -hmm. the game is still has integrity so those are the people who oftentimes will say um if you talk about microaggressions Mm -hmm. and things like that they'll they'll also say oh well that was probably something else, right? Yep. That was they were having a bad day or whatever else. <laughs> yeah. But but these are folks who refuse to see the systemic infection of mm-hmm. racism and uh, and it's an, um, a correlation to place. Uh, what yes. why it's happening? Why it began? Most people just think we appeared on the land and have no idea what the history is. It is amazing. I. Uh I am always amazed. And you know what? I I just heard it again two weeks ago that our current president said that uh, we came into an untamed land. Oh, yes. Untamed. Untamed. Uncivilized inhabitants. (laughs) And so the pioneering spirit that made America with this. There was no there there. Yeah. There was no brain surgery occurring. There were no medicinals that supply most of the world. There were not crops that feed most of the world being grown. There were not large cities and palladiums and and, uh, uh, great irrigation in the midst of deserts and great roads spanning hundreds and hundreds of miles. And, you know, none of this was here. Yeah. Right? Because that's part of the American myth. So the American myth is another thing that we're going to have to address. Let let me espouse the third position, if you will, for a minute. So uh, I think the American myth is built on a racialized and classist structure that problematizes the other. So that means it's like it's their problem. That's that's what you just talked about. And and then it condemns the other for resisting their own subjugation. Hmm. And that has occurred throughout uh, lots of different instances in history, even to, uh, uh, you know, what happened to the Irish when they came and and that sort of thing. So you have to basically become white. There's a central narrative of justification, and that justification is white supremacy and white normalcy. And they tell of this uh, American myth that tells you, here's the standard, and you have to live up to it. And if you don't, and if you don't accept the myth, you're an enemy of the state. You're considered a traitor, a terrorist, unpatriotic, or now you can just be an immigrant and be an enemy of the state. 
So uh, it's funny. I saw a meme one time. It said, uh, America is the only country whose immigrants call other immigrants immigrants. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the way that we imagine ourselves, the American dream, right, the initial impulse, the framing of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the way that we imagine that really is a powerful story. So these three ways of viewing that story are very different than each other. Uh, recently, uh, this has really come to my attention, um, uh, Michael Eric Dyson right. uh, is getting a lot of um, opportunities to speak right, because of the popularity of his book. He's been showing up in different places. And I've noticed that he is quoting Beyonce. He has this amazing quote from Beyonce who says that racism is so fundamental to America that when you criticize racism, people think you're criticizing America. Right. Exactly. So that would be this third school, this third way of framing it, that it's, it is baked into the bread, that it's part of the DNA of America. It's the same thing they, uh, Bush Cheney tried to pull off with the Iraq war if, after 9-11. If you criticize yes. the war, you were criticizing America. America. Yeah. And now it's if you criticize America, you're criticizing the troops. That's the one they like to pull out, right? Yeah. That's an amazing jump. That if you show concern about either American foreign policy or some of the injustice that's built into the system right now, that you're criticizing these people who have laid their life on the line. Right. And you're like, whoa, 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 how'd you get there? (laughs) But when it all gets uh, mashed together and, and, and amalgamated into one pure ideal then you can't criticize any one part of it without calling the entire program into question. Okay. So um, let me uh, uh, wrap the land into this. Please. Uh, just, and there's no uh, probably greater myth in America than the Pocahontas myth. In fact, I've met probably more people who said they were distant relatives of Pocahontas than people who said they're Cherokee. Okay. So this is sort of like uh, your claim to... The, the, no, the nobleness of the land. Um, I wrote a foreword to a book um, a couple years ago for um, uh, Howard Snyder, one of my former professors. And he, a, he wrote a book called Jesus and Pocahontas, Gospel, Mission, and National Myth. <laughs> Do you know I know Howard Snyder? No, I didn't know you know him. He was a free Methodist pastor in the next town over from where my parents were pastors. Uh-huh. And when we were part of a pastor support group for the free Methodist in suburban Chicago, uh-huh. we would go over and I would hang out with his uh, son. We were both into professional wrestling. We were fans. <laughs> and so, <laughs> wait a minute, wait yeah. a minute, wait a minute. So you were, you were, is this during your Canadian football career? No, it was before that. When I was a, when I was a grade schooler, I was in Chicago and I don't know if you know this, but when I became a Christian and got my call to be a pastor, my current, my plan, I was playing semi-pro football in Canada. My plan was to become a professional wrestler. Whoa. I was going to go over to Stampede Wrestling in Calgary and learn how to be a pro wrestler. Somehow I can imagine that. <laughs> Thanks. Did you figure out what your trade name would be? I hadn't gotten that far yet. Okay. <laughs> well, Howard Snyder <laughs> yes. was, was one of my uh, theology professors. I like Howard because he has a very shalom-like yeah. theology, much like mine. Uh, and anyway, in, in this book, he says this, because the, because Pocahontas really sums up the idea of the American myth. Pocahontas portrayals tell the saga of Indian-white relations. 
The first, the Indians are hostile and dangerous, but key figures like Pocahontas bring reconciliation. Eventually, the Indians are subdued and, according to the myth, integrated into the new nation. From the first, two options loom for the Indians. Peaceful integration on the white man's terms, symbolized by Pocahontas' marriage and baptism, or forced submission, marginalization, or annihilation. While in reality, Pocahontas speaks of the stealing of native lands and the genocide of native peoples, Mm. America's original sin. Though well-known and fully documented, its moral meaning has never been faced. The scattered, impoverished Indian reservations in the U.S. and the underclass of Native Americans in many large U.S. cities remain to bear witness. Mm. So this is how we bring race and place. Race and place. So often, and with my friends, when we talk off the record, they will lament... You know, whether it's Trayvon Martin or Ferguson or, you know, whatever's happening. And they'll say, you know, but that's not, people always want to make this about race. You know, but it's it's not just about race. It's about so much more. And then when I'll bring up the issue of land. Right. It is nowhere on their radar. Because it's been universalized. It's it's ethereal. It's abstract. Yeah. And so the place where all these good things happen in the American myth um, is no one place. It's every place. Yes. Whereas we actually are people living in local place, and it's the stories of yes. local place that really bear out the kinds of things that we're talking about, the racism we're talking about. On one of our early episodes called Place... Um, you uh, talked about how uh, the Western mind has take, has removed place as an element within the story and has supplemented in time. Mm-hmm. That time and, and what happened. And so people will say, well, this stuff you're talking about happened a long time ago. Right. And we have this wonderful history if you look at it from time, yeah. but not if you look at it from a place not perspective. Not from place. So the issue of land is so central to the American dream, but because, um, like you're saying, America is everywhere, mm-hmm. right? It's it, it, the, the goodness is true wherever you are, and that it's not located, right? right. Specifically in, in land, land becomes invisible, and this is really uh, one of our problems. When I watch the evening news, or when I you know read different about different crises happening in our culture. One of the things that is truly amazing to me, you know, you, you'll read a news story and you know how it always starts with telling you where it is? Right. So, so the story will begin by saying Tallahassee, Tallahassee Florida. Mm-hmm. And it, it lets you know that this story is located somewhere. Right. Yet in the rest of the article, it's about something very generic and not about the specificity of that place. Yeah. And, and even though we know it's over there... Uh, it's still a generalized, abstract right. notion of what the story is right. about. So when I talk with my friends, who are very intrigued about the changes that have happened in my life in the last 15, 20 years, and they'll ask me about stuff, when I try and introduce the element of land, you can tell that it's a pretty foreign concept uh, for most people. And they'll say, I guess I've never thought about this before. Yeah, I hear that. And it's... Time. Yeah, I bet you do. And so once you understand the importance of land to a nation's history and, and, and culture, 
you can never unsee it. Once you open your mind to it, then it becomes a central part of understanding how things play out. Yeah, and and land is looked at differently, right? And sort of a Western worldview looks at you know a uh, 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 woods and says, "Hey, how many uh, board feet can I get out yeah. of that?" Yeah. Um, whereas a non-Western uh, or more indigenous worldview looks at that and says. Um, how is that going to sustain me and my grandchildren and their grandchildren? Oh, wow. And, uh, and so we're looking at it uh, yeah. from a very, uh, one is a very utilitarian, the other is somewhat utilitarian, but it's meant to be sustainable, yeah. right? So I know you have some quotes that we want to talk about, but I just want to say that the police are in the news a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, race is a major topic of conversation. And I get that. Obviously, it's a very very important issue. But just second to that, I just want to put in a a little plant a seed that just secondary to that is this unstated issue of place that's seen as problematic. So whether it's college students sleeping on a, right, um, a couch in the lobby Mm -hmm. or whether it's in a park in a gentrified neighborhood or whether it's walking through a neighborhood in Florida where you know the security guard thinks they shouldn't be, mm-hmm. or whether it's uh, issues of um, housing, like in, in, in a Ferguson, where you have um, uh, situations that are very uh, geographic. Yeah, and those right? are sort of uh, politically based, but there's also ecologically based racism. So there's there's uh, what I call ecocide and ethnocide that go together. You huh. know, it's the the poorest. Um, people of color and oftentimes also poorest yeah. white folks in the country who end up getting um, uh, the worst deals in terms of nuclear waste yeah. and chemical dumps and all of those air pollution, mm-hmm. water pollution, etc. So this is why we wanted to couple race and place because it goes back to day one of the American dream that the theft of indigenous lands and the importing of slave labor go hand in hand, that it is right from day one. And if you want to say, well, that was exceptional and now, you know, we need to continue to deal with the problems of that, but that's not the DNA at the core. Right. And, and the, it's now expressed through neo-colonial means, right? So you have the, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund um, and, and what people call uh, democratic capitalism is still the most oppressive force. Before it was uh, literal literal force, yes. now it's force through monetization and economic trade, etc. Um, you know, uh, world powers demand stable global economies to make a profit, and then they pressure other nations through neocolonial tentacles um, and uh, Im- imbalanced trade deals. And I'm not talking about what Trump's talking about right now, by the way. And they make unjust loans and political alliances, uh, to, and they punish people who don't cooperate. I went to school with a lot of people from Kenya and other places like this who, who really, uh, I was fortunate to be able to hear their stories and, and how so much of people around the world are forced into, and they're already oftentimes impoverished nations, to be even poorer and take bad loans and all these kinds of things uh, uh, in order to um, just aid us in whatever it is we want to do from from the most simple things of buying cheap clothes at Old Navy, you know, mm-hmm. or wherever it is. Um, and, and this is uh, the neo-colonial powers that keep um, 
other places subjected. So, so when we talk about the age of colonialism, is by no means over. Um, it's just serving America's needs right now to to, mm. to give us a privileged lifestyle. Right. Mm. So I, I'm only going to bring up the police one more time, but um, the reason I use that example is, you know, for a lot of people, they don't realize that the the current policing practices that we're struggling with right now, including the militarization of police. Yes. But these police practices are actually rooted in a race and place. And that in the 1860s, um, policing changed a great deal after the, the slaves were freed because the Jim Crow laws mm-hmm. uh, are where the modern policing is rooted in the Jim Crow South. And it was the protection of land... Stolen land. Stolen land. And people that used to be property. Right. And so policing is based on protecting property. Wow. And those who own property, whether that is land or previously slaves. And that so many of the policing practices that we are now familiar with actually were invented or came to be in the the post civil war south and so you know these policing practices that we see that make the the evening news are not you know, coming out of a vacuum they're not emerging without context right. they are rooted in both race and place so they're they're just like every other system they were set up basically for the benefit and the protection of white landowning males, basically. Yes. And, uh, and it, you know, that continues to expand a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, so every system, whether it's an educational system, um, which we could do a whole, again, another show on mm-hmm. to talk about the racism built in the educational system, um, whether it's the religious systems, whether it's the economic systems, whether it's the policing systems, all of these systems have been set up from the beginning with this, like you say, baked in the bread racism, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. As we round the corner towards the end of this episode, you had a couple quotes that I thought were really uh, interesting. Two specifically. Yeah, I've got a, a, a Martin King Jr. Yep. quote, and I've got a quote by Chief Luther Standing Bear. All right. And so, um, I just thought these might be appropriate for this show, and it turns out maybe this is the way we'll close it out. Okay. Okay. First one, Martin Luther King Jr. Our nation was born in genocide. We are perhaps the only nation which tried as a matter of national policy to wipe out its inhabit to wipe out its indigenous population. Moreover, we elevated that tragic experience into a noble crusade. Indeed, even today we have not permitted ourselves to reject or feel remorse for this shameful episode. Hmm. Martin Luther King Jr., I was really interested in finding out what he had to say about Native people, and that's one of the quotes I came across. Wow. The second one's from Luther Standing Bear, um, and he said, uh, back in the 19th century, the white man does not understand the Indian for the reason that he does not understand America. He is too far removed from its formative processes. The roots of the tree of his life have not yet grasped the rock and the soil. The white man is still troubled with primitive fears, but he has in his consciousness 
the perils of this frontier continent, some of its fastness not yet having yielded to his questing footsteps and inquiring eyes. The man from Europe is still a foreigner and an alien, but the Indian, the spirit of the land, is still vested. It will be until other men are able to divine and meet its rhythms. Luther Standing Bear. So when you think about uh, those who may be listening to this episode, I began by saying, I just wanted to introduce this topic because I'm sure we will revisit this, especially as people give us feedback on the episode, that it'll be, become an ongoing conversation. But what I wanted, my goal was just to introduce the idea that in almost every news story that you see, if you look behind the scenes, just one layer behind it, there are unspoken issues of race and place. And that the things that make the evening news, we, we so rarely actually talk about the importance of those two issues, but they are informing nearly every conversation that we're having, whether they're named or not, they are just under the surface. Yeah. Pull back the curtain, folks. Hey, if you are enjoying these conversations, we could really use your support. You could leave a review on iTunes for us so that we can reach a broader audience. iTunes responds to uh, those reviews and then uh, puts you in different streams so that people uh, see. It would increase our bandwidth, and iTunes would help promote us to people uh, who are outside of our circles. I'm going to start a new verb. iTunes iTunes, people, please. Please. And then the second thing is, if you would support us financially uh, at the $1 level, at the $10, $20 level, uh, each of them comes with a different benefit. Uh, the first gets you into a private Facebook conversation where we can talk about this stuff sort of behind the scenes. At the $10 level, you get to give shape to upcoming shows by emailing us either uh, a text or sending us, uh, if you want to record, a, a, um, an MP3, and then we can play that on an upcoming episode and respond to that. And at the $20 level, um, you're going to become a part of this uh live recording that we're doing next month where your voice will actually contribute to the conversation or you have a seat at the table yes so visit patreon slash piecing it all together that's p-e-a-c-i-n-g piecing it all together we would really love uh, your support we are enjoying the feedback and we want to expand the conversation so please share the podcast with your friends on facebook on Twitter, leave us an iTunes review and help us uh, broaden the people who are joining this conversation. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Peace out.